What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love our neighbors? How and why should I care about those around me, even my enemies? In our 10-part series titled Loving as We've Been Loved, we're exploring how God's great love for us is the foundation for both our loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Join us as we study the scriptures and see what this looks like in our everyday lives. So welcome. Who remembered my preach last time with the nice pictures? Well, I've got bad news. It doesn't get better than this. So, so wait. Yeah, so we, we're continuing on with this whole thing of the... Um, and we're also trying something new here. Technology. Um, this whole thing of the Great Commission. And today I'm talking about um, loving our enemies. So, it's a fun topic, but I'm going to cover things like forgiveness, judgment, you know those great topics, but I guarantee you, you can relax right now, we can actually enjoy it. When you see what I'm talking about, the forgiveness and the judgment of Jesus, it is good news. So hold on for that one, and then we're mostly going to have a surprise at the end. Not this elastic, but something else. So, yeah, hold on. So let's just flip to the next slide. Oh, actually, I do that, don't I? Again, when we look at the Big Commission, just to give... Ah, there we are. Sorry, I have only used this once before. Remember, the Big Commission is when Adam and Eve are commissioned to rule and to govern and to you know, oversee the earth, subdue the earth and govern. And then when Jesus went, he commissioned us to disciple all nations, preach and heal the sick, and share good news. So this is the question I had as we go ahead for this preach. But why does it feel, because we're not loving our enemies this week, but why does it feel at times that people, cities, nations should get what they deserve? We can all sit around and think of what's happening around the world, of people or people groups, and we think, eh. So we'll leave it, and let's see what um, Jesus did on the cross about this. I'm not going to answer this question right now, but we'll take from there. So that's kind of a bit of the context. I want to just pray quick. So Father, we just welcome your presence this morning. We just thank you for just being in your word today, and even topics like judgment and forgiveness and enemies. Father, I just pray that we catch your heart, that good heart of the Father. Father, I just pray where our eyes have been blinded. Father, I just pray this morning we catch the heart of this kingdom vision of bringing your goodness to this world. And we just thank you for that. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, just to come, just to be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start with an appetizer. Hopefully it's up there. So this quote at the bottom from Rick Joyner, it, as I was talking about loving our enemies and that, I was reminded about this. This was a very special time. I wouldn't say special, but it was a transforming time and it became special. Because I remember back about 12 years ago, I was about pretty down and out about stuff, uh, not in the happiest place. Um, and then we went down to this conference um, in Morningstar and it was a conference about the prophetic. And I had a bit of a prophetic leaning. I could tell things quite 
about people if I wanted to. But then at this conference, they started talking about the hard issues. And I'm like, what has the hard issue got to do with the prophetic? And then um, I realized, only when we have a, a, a love for people... You know, when we have a vision... Sorry. Because <laughs> I used to see the problems in people. And then what I realized is we've got to see what God wants for people. And so let's see, Jeremiah 59, it says, If you extract the precious from the worthless, you'll become my spokesman. And then going down further, looking at this direct joint, it says, When we start to see the precious and what appears worthless and begin speaking to it and drawing it out of one another, we will start to become the prophetic people we must be in order to accomplish the mandate of God in this hour. Let us start recognizing Him, honoring Him, and calling forth him in one another. So let's start seeing each other how God sees each other. And for me, that was such a significant thing. Instead of seeing the problems in people, I turn around and say, God, I want to see what you are seeing. And that is for each other in our body. It's for people we meet on the street. It's for when we look at a nation, we say... Father, what is your call on that nation? What is your heart? And looking beyond what we see in the physical. You know, when we look at when we were saved, you know, we weren't that great, but God saw something in us. And that's what the eyes that we need to see um, other people. So we're going to touch on these themes as we go through here. So let's... There we are. So we're going to go through the scripture, which is kind of the, what I call the intro. This is kind of, Nate touched on this last week, and I'm going to build on a second part of the scripture this week. So let's look at Matthew 5, 43 to 45. It says, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor. And that's what Nate covered last week, loving a neighbor and hates your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And this was a huge shift. When Jesus shared this, Israel was expecting their enemy was Rome. And their vision of the kingdom was a Messiah coming in and getting rid of Rome and bringing back the Israel, the kingdom of Israel. That was their vision. It wasn't the thought of loving the Romans was a horrifying thought. It was a complete revolutionary shift for them. And then in the Old Testament, the judgments, they were used to saying, if, if evil was happening, God would hold back the rain. So suddenly, Jesus saying something like, he will send the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There was a thought that for them it's like, what has happened? I've got to love my enemies and God's going to bless this, the righteous and the unrighteous. That was a revolutionary shift in those days. And that's why you can understand the reaction that some of the Pharisees had to Jesus when he shared these things. It was such a shift uh, for them. I created this chart here. 
is when we talk about um, this peace, we're talking about you know, loving our enemies, it's people, it's city, it's nations. And how, you know, this thing how we're called to love our enemies. But the reason I had this slide is that God has put people around us. And that's where the rubber kind of hits the road. You, as I said, we can't say, I have a love for nations, but we don't like the person next to us. Or we find that church rubs us the wrong way. It's, this is where God has called us to work out this loving the enemies. It's where we work. It's the people we live with. And then as we develop this love for people, God can trust us with the cities and the nations. Because when we go to the nations, we know we have a, a clean heart working with the people around us. And that rubbing actually helps mold us to reach more people. So let's not avoid each other. You know, because like family, we, we can't get away from family. You know, we have to work it out. And sometimes it's better not to hold it all in, but rather work it out. Because what it does, it prepares us, it molds us, so we can reach cities and we can reach nations. And so as I talk through here, the Great Commission is for all these three, but I might focus more on the beginning, but let's think of the Big Commission as all three. some reason this is not responding to our... Ah, there we are. Forgiveness. Say, this is not going to be hard. It's not going to be hard. Sometimes when you look at little scriptures, or scriptures like this, we can miss some of the truth that is in it. And so I'm going to read this. Um, this is when Jesus was on the cross. Luke 23, 20, 23, 34 says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Let me read that again. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Often with scripture like this, we miss some of the deep truths. Um, so let me read a couple of questions here. Before we comment, was, just, was Jesus just saying the nice thing? You know, like sometimes when something happens bad and we wait for the person to say, you know, I forgive them. Um, was it the real prayer that request to the Father? Was Jesus really asking, what he was asking, was that a real request? Did he really want it to happen? Would the Father honor that prayer from Jesus? And if yes, you know, what are those implications? Going back to, was Jesus saying the right thing? For years, I just viewed this as nice things. You know, it's the right thing to do. And didn't really think much about it. But when you realize that Jesus actually forgave everybody on the cross. And when he asked the Father, Father, forgive them. The Father's response would be to forgive them and follow Jesus' request. What is the implications of this? When you look at Jesus, he was perfect, yet he went to the cross, but we are not perfect, 
and he died for us. So if Jesus could forgive who was perfect, we who are imperfect who had Jesus die for us, we really do not have a right to hold unforgiveness against somebody. And we're going to find out why this is important, not this thing of not holding unforgiveness, because it was so important to Jesus. So we're going to shift on to um, the next piece, is looking at judgment. Again, another scripture that is simple, but it's very, very profound. In John three sixteen to 17, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And this whole thing of him sending his Son into the world you know, we've called to have the same heart of Jesus. He said, so loved the world that he sent his only son. This is not a picture of an angry God. Because he sent his son for us to die. And so when you look at him, and I remember that scene from, I think, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I think it was Mr. Tumnus saying, but he's not a tame lion. And then Lucy saying, but he is good. We'll never comprehend the fullness of God here on earth and fully understand Him. We never put Him in a box. But we do know that He is good, that He loved us, and He sent His Son. And then whoever believes in Him would have eternal life. So Jesus was not sent to judge, but to save. And now we've been through the training before. We know what that save means. It's the word sozo which is saved, healed, and delivered. So Jesus didn't just come just to save people. He came to fully restore people. And that is the same mandate, is the mission we've been asked to go and do as Jesus did. So our role as well is to see people saved, healed, delivered, seeing the kind of restoration of the whole Man, And he's starting to see this thing about not to judge. And so when we look at people, we're looking with God's grace at somebody saying, how do I bring my enemy or someone I don't like or, or a nation into God's grace, this grace that he is offering to be restored and come into to the blessing of God. bit more on judgment. We're not leaving the topic yet. Who's enjoying judgment? It's good, isn't it? Another interesting, when Jesus in um, Luke 4, 18 and 19, when they handed him the scroll from Isaiah, he read, he quoted this scripture in Isaiah 61, 1 to 2. And Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That was the year of Jubilee, every 50 years. 
Israel was supposed to forgive all the debts. I don't think it ever happened, but that was the intention of the year of Jubilee. And then in Isaiah, it had this one piece, and the day of vengeance of our God. But it's interesting, in Luke, in Luke, Jesus does not quote that last line. He ends it on to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, where all debts are forgiven. And that is a good God. That is a restoring God. That's a God that has a vision for his people to come into fullness and restoration. There's a couple of keys that are very interesting um, as we break out some of those pieces. As we're talking about judgment is not an option for us as believers, but having the eyes of Jesus is. And he talks about here prisoners and captives. A prisoner is somebody who did something wrong. A captive is somebody who had something wrong done to them. Now Jesus comes along and says, I'm, you know, I'm forgiving both. The prisoner and the captive. And that's part of our mandate. It's because there's a grace in this season to bring people into freedom with Jesus. And that transforming grace is available to all of us. You know, Jesus broke their power on the cross of the enemy, on the cross. And we all carry this mantle like Jesus. When we meet people, we bring them into this grace. We set prisoners and captives free. Before the cross, we were all captives because of the fall. Jesus released all captives and he released all prisoners, people who deserved judgment. He released them to give them the opportunity to come so that nations and people can be saved. So what is the implication for us when we hear this good news of God's forgiveness and his judgment? How do we see people? So we're going to go a bit deeper on this topic of how we see people. Okay, two very interesting scriptures. Right there, the kingdom is greater than the parts. And we're going to explore that on the next slide, but I want to read two scriptures first. And this will help us clear our, kind of clear our lenses. You know, sometimes we've got to like put a different lens on before we see something or we go to see the 3D movie without the lens. You ain't going to see that movie. And so these are two scriptures to help prepare our lens for the next slide. So first is John 16, 7. It says, this is Jesus, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Mm, Interesting. Doesn't look like Jesus had an inferiority complex. He was quite happy for people, you know, to, to go beyond him. 
And then John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. So that's like, wow, this is not just anybody saying this. This is Jesus. I mean, he had cities being coming to him, being healed, and paralytics, and a huge impact. So let's go to this, don't laugh at the diagram. This is deep stuff. So we're going to have a bit of a Kingdom 101 lesson on people. So what happened? Pre-fall, Adam and Eve created whole. What happened to Adam and Eve? They fell. And what happened? The keys of authority were given to Satan. And the reason of the squiggly lines is from that point on, whatever you did, you kind of weren't whole. It was like a broken, kind of a broken world. You could try hard, but there was no, you know, there was no fullness in Christ during that season. Then we have the cross. And then we have Jesus coming in um, Matthew 4, taking back the keys of the kingdom. And on the cross, he restores us back to our original mandate. Remember the first slide with the big commission and the, the authority to govern, to rule? That's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he was whole. Because maybe he was born with purity. He wasn't impacted by the fall. And through Jesus, he brings us back into wholeness. But it doesn't end there. Because we have a greater authority and anointing than Adam. Because what do you say in the previous scriptures? He's given us the Holy Spirit. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. And greater things shall you do. So this, how do we, what does this mean as we see each other? Because that's why I did that circle. It's, it's bigger, but it's, there's no limits to it. Technology. And this whole thing, we need to see each other with heaven's eyes. When we look at Peter, the rock, who knows, we've discussed this before, Peter was not a rock. But Jesus saw something in Peter that only really got fulfilled three or four years later, where Peter did become the rock to the church. In terms of the greater things, as we, we have a decision, we can see people kind of as a string, but a string cannot get bigger than its circumference. A string can be, we can see people slightly damaged, but we can never see, if we see people like a string, that's their limit. They can't go beyond that. But... When you look at an elastic band, that's the exact same size. But we have kingdom eyes, and we look at people, we don't just see that or that. We can start seeing what God is seeing, which is that, which is greater 
than our natural abilities. Because as we saw, we can do greater because the Holy Spirit has come. And Jesus said, we can do greater things. But we know in the natural, our abilities aren't quite there. I mean, I look at myself, I should not be preaching. And other things. We all have things that we know we shouldn't be doing. But because of God's grace, He can do things that are bigger than that. And He can fix firstly where we're broken and make it whole, like on the cross. But He's like, oh wow, I see James. He loved Florida, but I see the world for him. I see Mark. He's in Durban, surfing. But I have a bigger call for him, and his business is going to get this big. And he, he was selling furniture on the side of the road. Now he's got a huge business. He didn't accomplish it in his own strength. God can do immeasurably greater than what we think. But as we look at each other, let's start putting on this. And seeing the opportunities of what God wants to do. Who's ever tried to shoot a string? Not very impressive. But when we see people like this, we can be shot into our cities, our nations. We can have a huge impact. Can't do that if we're seeing strings in our body. We have to see that elastic band in each other's lives. Bigger than the natural abilities. And then we see in Ezekiel 37, uh, 1 to 10, when the Lord says to him, what do you see? And he says, I see the dry bones. I was a dry bone specialist before that period 12 years ago. I was a specialist. I was an archaeologist. But we are being called and anointed to speak life. And so we can see the dry bones in each other, but if we make an archaeological dig out of it, it's not going to release life. But we've been given the privilege of speaking God, of seeing as Jesus sees and releasing that life on each other. But it's the same thing for cities and for nations. We can see what that nation's really called for. It might be an ugly-looking nation right now. But we need to say, God, what is your vision and what was your call for that nation? Because that's the only way we're going to transform cities and nations and for each other because God has chosen to co-labor through us. And that's why it's important that we see the giftings and the callings on each other to be able to get to co-labor with God to get this done. And we need compassion, mercy, kindness, and forgiveness towards each other, and we work it out daily. I know, like they are saying, that was a big change for me in terms of how I saw people, but you know what? There are days when your first impression is the archaeological dig. And you've got to very quickly say, hey, I'm not, not digging for bones. I'm looking for life. And so it's a daily thing where we just make that mental shift. We say, oh, I'm not going down that path. We're not going to do that. 
as we're kind of wrapping up, it says, I've got the scripture. So we can only give out what we receive. In Luke 6.12, and this is um, the scripture when Jesus went up the mountain to pray before he picked the 12 apostles. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. What did he pick? He picked 12 complete misfits who should never have been apostles if you looked at them as string. People must have been looking at Jesus when he came down and said, you have completely missed it. If you pick these 12, you're a bigger fool than we think. But you know what? Jesus was in prayer to his father and he saw that elastic on those people's lives. Even though it took three years, four years for them to come into that fullness, but those 12 apostles impacted the world. And that's the same thing is we can only give out from what we receive. And this means it puts an implication on all of us to be spending time with the Lord so that we can make those things where we can pick the 12 apostles or whatever that that thing is that we do. This was a lot more effective last time. So... Looking at this, good ideas and good intentions does not transform the world. When you look at the Bible, it's those who encountered the Father who impacted nations. And we need to have that same, you know, the measure of the Spirit that Jesus, and it says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We need that Spirit upon us. And we need His presence. And this is not just about praying for the sick. This is praying for the sick. It's helping the poor. It's having strategies for broken cities like Austin. It is for evangelism. It is within the place we work. We need that anointing on us. We need to be able to hear what the Father is saying. And it's not just the, sometimes the crazy people we think who do all the you know, spiritual stuff. Everything we do is spiritual. Let's not go and try and transform a neighborhood with good intentions and nice ideas. It might work a bit, but if we hear from the Father, like when Jesus picked the 12, even though it might seem crazy, I guarantee you that will be the strategy. It might be ugly for a couple of months, like the, when Jesus looked at those apostles thinking, oh my goodness, what have I done? Was this the right thing? But you know what? It was the right thing. And there's going to be times like when Mark started his business, like, ooh, is this the right thing? You know, and then you come into the fruit of when God says, yes, this was the right thing. So let's be a people that are hungry for his presence in everything that we do. I I was wondering about it. I didn't know how to quite close this. So I thought maybe I'm just going to do this quick slide here um, just to show that in England, in the 1800s, it was a terrible time. There was child labor was rampant. One in four homes in London were distilleries. They shut down Parliament often because often people were too <laughs> drunk to be there. 
Um, work conditions were horrible. Your know, life expectancy was not great. And a lot of the church at that point was saying, all we need is God's judgment to come. We need the end of time to come because there's nothing we can do. This is almost like God's judgment on this nation. And there were other people like the Wesley brothers, Booth, Whitfield, Moody, Wilberforce, who understood this heart of the Father to forgive and the power of the kingdom. And they understood what it was when people allowed the Holy Spirit to work through their lives that they could transform that nation. They did it bit by bit. But as people said, God, you died on the cross for these people. And we know that the power of your kingdom is stronger than what we see. And you can transform lives and transform a nation. And so that's just the encouragement for us as we look at our own situations that as we grab hold of God, you know, we are not limited to a string. We, we can really touch things in a, in a bigger dimension when we put our faith in God. So I'm going to close on that. And it's really just for us just to stir us a bit in the different things that God's called us to, to go into. Thanks for listening to this Church in the City podcast. For more information about our church or to listen to other messages, visit churchinthecity.us.